Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. The most politically watched election in America takes place this November in the race to become the next governor of Virginia. Uh, it's going to be the first election since uh, Joe Biden took office. And in a sense, this is going to be a referendum among the voters about how they feel the job that Joe's doing. Uh, and joining me today is the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, after an outstanding career with the Carlisle Group, where I first got to know Glenn, uh, he rose to be co-chief executive officer and now he's bringing his business experience and results-oriented mindset to become governor of Virginia. And as a fellow practitioner of private equity, I just couldn't be happier because I think Glenn is the, is the right man for the job. Glenn, welcome. Bill, thank you for having me, and it's great to be on your show. Well, it's great to have you here. So, uh, look, before we jump into the, the Virginia governor's race, let's talk about your career in private equity. You were, you were there at Carlisle for 25 years. And, I was. And what, what, did, what you know, I don't think pe people say pri private equity. We don't, most people don't know what that means. What is it? Yeah, well, I didn't know what it means. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you, were, I, you were a basketball player. Yeah, I'm a homegrown Virginian. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was born in a little part of Richmond called Bonaire, and, uh, and I didn't grow up in a world of finance. Um, in fact, in seventh grade, my dad lost his job. And, uh, my family re, re, you know, repotted and moved to Virginia Beach. You, you were a basketball player at Rice, and your father was a basketball player at Duke? At Duke, he okay. was. He was. Um, and so we had basketball in the family. Um, but when he lost his job in seventh, when I was in seventh grade, my mom moved all of us, including my dad, <laughs> to, to Virginia Beach. Um, I actually just learned how to work hard. Yeah. And that was just a big moment for me. I, I got a job at a diner, taking out trash and washing dishes. And, and I had jobs all the time. Yeah. And jobs ranged from flipping eggs and taking out trash to loading trucks to waiting tables. And, and uh, I just always had a job. Mm -hmm. And so private equity was not something I had ever heard of uh, when I was growing up. But uh, You're not when standing I standing there at the sink washing dishes saying, gee, I'd rather be in private equity. I'd rather be in private equity. No, <laughs> I, I was actually standing there happy I had a job. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, but when I got out of school uh, uh, at Rice and I, was an, I was trained as an engineer. And when we, when I got out of school, there weren't a lot of engineering jobs, uh, in Texas, uh, cause I went to school in Houston and I ended up going to work for something called an investment bank. And I'll never forget my very first, uh, job interview. You were, you were at first Boston. Uh, I was at first Boston. Yeah. yeah. My very first job interview, someone said, well, you know, can you talk to us about the net present value of money? And then I said, I don't know much about that, but I can tell you uh, how much fluid can go through a pipe at different temperatures. Right. And they said, OK, we got this. You got the math. And uh, and so that was my first exposure into the world of, of finance. Um, I went to grad school. And when we came back to to uh, northern Virginia, uh, Suzanne, my wife at the time, we got, still my wife, um, we got married and and came back 27 years ago. Uh, I met a guy named David Rubenstein. And that's how I got exposed to private equity. And it was an opportunity to step into a growing industry that was really young at the mm -hmm. time, but had a lot of momentum. And uh, I spent 25 years at Carlisle, and it was an amazing career. And what, you ran a lot of different businesses at Carlisle. What, what, did, you, what did you run? Well, I spent most of my time in the world of, of uh, the industrial uh, segment, uh, manufacturing, 
chemicals and industry, um, energy, uh, energy, both traditional energy and renewables. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in 2008, I was asked to step out of the investing side of Carlisle, and I started to work in, uh, in senior management uh, and eventually had the great fortune of having a chance. And to how many Carlisle. people did you manage there? Well, Carlisle today, when I when I left, is just under two thousand. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, it was when I left about two hundred and thirty billion dollars of assets under management. And I'm always I'm always uh, have to step back because that's a big number. I mean, it's literally about four times the annual budget in Virginia. Um, yeah. And we had uh, investments in companies in all kinds of industries, and it really gave me a chance to understand lots of different industries and to really recognize that. There's no single way to invest, but it's actually seeing in companies opportunity yeah. and then unleashing the, that opportunity and helping those companies. Well, let's be talk great about companies. that process because people demonize. I know this is particularly true with Mitt Romney when he ran uh, for president. The private equity was supposed to be this terrible thing, asset stripping by companies, fire everyone and just take the cash and run. That's not how it works. At all. That's not how it works at all. How does it work? And in fact, if if that's the way it worked, it wouldn't be an industry right? Uh, because you can't purposely try to tear things down and expect to create value. Yeah. It's just not the way it works. Um, I do think that that's convenient um, for, for folks that don't understand private equity or trying to drive an agenda about private equity, mm -hmm. um, but it's absolutely not the way it works. And in fact, what way, the way we always approach it is, is how do we find good companies that in fact may not be fully realizing their potential? And then how do we bring together expertise that exists inside Carlisle and expertise we could recruit from outside Carlisle in order to support a business plan that helps that company go from being a good company to being a great company? Um, and that was all done on behalf of investors that really represent uh, America. It's the teacher's retirement systems and right. it's the public employee retirement systems and the firefighter retirement systems. And the idea is that if we are entrusted with their money, that's in, the, that's in their retirement pools, and we do a really good job managing it, then their retirement system actually grows, and they have a more secure retirement. And uh, so that's why we always felt like we wanted to be clear about who we work for. We work for retirees in order to make their retirement more secure, and we're doing that by investing in good companies and help, helping them become great. Well, I get a kick out of your partner, David Rubenstein, who, you know, he's got his own show, uh, and he does a good job. But he has all these famous guests on there, all these industries, and he says, he leans over and he says, you know, the highest calling is actually private equity. Yeah, he usually ends <laughs> most shows like that. Um, but then he might, and then he tried to get a job as a guest host on Saturday Night Live, which was sort of fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't quite share David's view because I really felt that after 25 years in private equity last summer, I had this uh, you know, amazing yeah. sense of purpose yeah. to actually move into public service. And I'd watched Virginia uh, over the, a number of years actually fall behind all of our peer states. And I'd also watched the Republican Party uh, learn how to, to um, professionally lose. <laughs> it had been 10 years since uh, Repub the Republican Party had actually won a statewide election. And the combination of, of what I viewed as bad leadership coming from the Democrats and a Republican Party that was not competing um, really put on my heart this great purpose to go run for governor and to go serve Virginians, to get hired by Virginians to actually work for them, to take Virginia from being good enough. And I think Virginia settles. I think Virginia settles and it's good enough. Well, I don't think so. I think Virginia should be great. 
and the exact same philosophy that uh, I've always used to think about how we build businesses from being good businesses to great businesses, I actually think is quite transferable to Virginia, where we can take Virginia from being good enough, where people settle for, uh, unfortunately, uh, mediocrity at times. And Virginia should be great, just like it was many, many years ago. And we can make that happen, and that's why I'm running for governor. So what did Ralph Northam do wrong as governor? Well, I think first and foremost, he forgot that the job of the governor is to lead. And leadership means actually setting out a vision for where Virginia should be, and then pulling people together and uniting people in order to get there. Yeah. And the highlight of that, in my mind, is how he managed through the pandemic. Um, and sadly, all he did during the pandemic was, was actually taken, in, in, in my view, soft and weak positions, um, highlighted by our schools. So schools across the country were open over the course of the last year. State of Florida opened their schools five days a week last August. They did it in a safe way. They did it in a way that protected the teachers. They did it in a way that actually looked after the kids' health. But they also had their children in school five days a week. Mm. And oh, by the way, there were no health challenges that were caused by that. And instead of leading, what Ralph Northam did was allow the teachers' associations, the teachers' unions in Virginia, to exercise an enormous amount of influence in keeping our kids out of school and not giving parents the right to make that decision. This, to me, is, is representative of the way that he didn't lead. He did the same thing with our business community, where he kept our businesses closed and restricted for much longer than he ever had to. And in fact, even today, the state of emergency in Virginia is still extended until the end of June. Why? It's been lifted in so many other states. Mm -hmm. And leadership is actually stepping up and saying, we're going to get move forward out of this pandemic and yeah. we're going to revitalize our industry. We're going to get our kids moving again back in school. And Ralph Northam has done none of that. So what would you do with the schools in Virginia? I mean, right now, I've, I've, the, the thing that's much on my mind and I think a lot of other people's minds is this critical race theory yes. Yes. and wokeness. And I think Loudoun County, I just was hearing, they're now assigning students as, uh, in effect, monitors who are supposed to talk about and tell on other students who are not thinking politically correct thoughts. I mean, yes. I feel like it's a combination of, you know, Animal Farm or uh, Lord of the Flies or 1984. I mean, it's, it's, it's really scary it what is. they're doing. It is. It is. It is. Well, where I start with schools is what's our goal? Our goal is, in fact, to have a, a public education system in Virginia that's the best, not just good enough, but is the best. And the first thing we have to recognize is in order for it to be the best, we actually have to allow Virginia's kids to run as fast as they can uh, and to actually excel. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I've been, I've been uh, so struck by is that our State Board of, of Education, under, under Ralph Northam, but actually continuing the philosophy of Terry McAuliffe when he was governor, is in fact to constrain the pace at which children can learn in schools. And it was highlighted by the fact that we uncovered the idea that we were going to stop teaching accelerated math classes mm -hmm. until the 11th grade. And we were in fact got, not going to award advanced diplomas anymore, even for kids that did all the work. All, all, in the, all under the misguided view that that was going to be good for Virginia's kids. So start there which is the philosophy is to allow the kids to run as fast as they can. 
and not to hold students back, but in fact to unleash their aspirations. Well, it seems like the whole curriculum business is about driving to the lowest common denominator rather than having rather than finding kids that can excel and, and promote that. Yeah. I mean, advanced math, all these things are going out of the curriculum. Yeah. And, and as, soon as, as, soon as, I, as soon as we saw this happening, and I actually called them out on it, they said, no, no, we didn't mean that. We're just going to test it in Fairfax County. This is representative of the fact that what Terry McAuliffe and the, and the left liberal Democrats believe is that teaching critical race theory in our schools, which is in fact divisive as opposed to unifying, as opposed to bringing our children together and helping them recognize the good in each other, they actually want to instill a sense of animosity mm -hmm. between our kids. And instead of allowing our children to run as fast as they can, they want to slow them all down. And instead of inviting competition into our public school systems with charter schools and school choice, they want to protect the public schools and embed all the power in the teachers associations or teachers unions. There is a diametrically opposed set of forces here, which is what's best for our kids from a, from a structure standpoint, school choice and charter schools, what's best from a curriculum standpoint, allowing our children to run fast in those things that yeah. can prepare them to, 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 to compete in a world that's very competitive and looking out for families or not. And this is, as governor, I am absolutely going to stand up well, for our kids. Well, I want to stick with education, but let's, hold on, I just noticed here, uh, you're watching the Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with uh, Glenn Youngkin, uh, candidate for governor of Virginia, who I hope will be the next governor of Virginia, and we're talking about the state of our schools. Let's stay with that, but I want to bring the villain into the story. We're just, we haven't had a candidate named for Democrat uh, a candidate for governor yet, I, but we expect it's going to be Terry McAuliffe. Let, let's 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 bring Terry into the picture here. I mean, Ralph's in, Ralph Northam's in a rearview mirror. We he, he did what he, he did the damage he did. Now we got to undo it. Terry, what, uh, what what what's the first thing that springs to your mind when you think of Terry McAuliffe as the next uh, governor? Well, Terry had his chance at being governor. That's one thing. That's one and thing. And what he had did his he, chance at being governor, and, and he didn't do a good job. <laughs> right. And now he wants to come back and ask Virginians to hire him again. Yeah. And I think this is why so many Virginians are eager for a different kind of candidate. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier, Bill, you know, I'm a business guy. I am not a politician. I had a 30-year business career. And when I stepped out of my business career last summer and prepared to run for governor. And then I have spent the last four months traveling around Virginia. I mean, like I've covered nearly 30,000 miles, hmm. speaking to tens of thousands of Virginians, Republicans, independents, and Democrats. What I hear over and over again is a consistent theme. One, what we've been doing isn't working, and I'd like something different. And oh, by the way, I'd like a governor who understands how to get things done as opposed to expresses a whole bunch of empty promises. And that's why, as I've spoken to people, they're like, Glenn, we're for you. We don't, we don't need, a, we don't need a, 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 a repeat of Terry McAuliffe. We want something new. We want someone who brings fresh ideas. And we want someone who can get things done. Well, what Terry McAuliffe gets done is he raises money. But you've also begun having a lot of success raising money. Now, you know, the, 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 the mark against a... I mean, you've made a fair amount of money in the private equity business, and so you can partially self-fund your campaign, but you're also attracting a lot of outside contributions. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we are. I, I, what's happening in this race is exactly where you started, Bill, which is 
people recognize the importance of this race in Virginia. Yeah. Not just for the future of Virginia, which, oh, by the way, when we look at what single party rule in Richmond has resulted in, it's resulted in this lurch left that would make Californians blush. And Virginians are tired of it. And so this is not only just about Virginia, however, because the national spotlight is on this, just like you said. There's only two races this year in, in the country, New Jersey and Virginia. And everybody recognizes that Virginia really is a, in a, at a moment where Virginians are going to make a statement on behalf of the country. Mm -hmm. Do we, in fact, approve of what's happening in Washington in addition to what's been happening in Richmond? And oh, by the way, this cultural war, which is being waged in our schools, where our children are, in fact, the victims, how do we feel about that? And so all of a sudden, this, this statewide race for governor takes on a national importance. And the financial support that I've been receiving has come from, has come from nearly 40 different states and has come from across the Commonwealth of Virginia. And it just reflects the fact that this is not just a governor's race in Virginia, but this is a moment for the for Virginians and for Americans to stand up and say that left liberal agenda is not our future. So you we have something different in mind. You you've uh, you've outraised Terry McAuliffe. It's now early June. How much money do you have in your coffers? Uh, we have a little over four million dollars in the bank okay. right now, and uh, we've raised a little bit less than sixteen million right now. Oh, that's fantastic. So. Uh, are you worried about uh, the George Soros factor or the Zuckerberg factor? I mean, every left-wing billionaire is going to feel like this is a race they can't afford to lose. Well, I think that uh, the, the money will be raised for this race based on people having a real interest in what's going to happen in Virginia on a national level. And it's going to get raised and it's going to um, get invested in winning. And we have a very clear view of what we need to win. Um, and it's... And it is targeted towards being running an efficient campaign. Listen, I'm a business guy. I'm going to run an efficient campaign. But I also know what we need to do to make sure that all Virginians have an opportunity to get to know me. And this is really important. Now, listen, I'm not a career politician. I don't bring 40 years of talking about political things to Virginians to bear. And so we're working hard to help Virginians get to know me. And that's Yes, through very traditional means of, of television commercials and radio commercials. I've had an enormous what amount the, are of... The, we have, how many big major media markets do we have? We've got D.C., we've got Richmond, we've got... Where, Hampton Roads and yeah. Roanoke. We've got four big ones. Okay. Um, and I've had, an, I've had an enormous amount of, of earned media, of folks that are just really interested to hear what I have to say. But I'm also spending a lot of time on the road. As I said, I've traveled nearly 30,000 miles meeting Virginians. And 80% of life is showing up. Mm -hmm. And I'm showing up. I'm showing up all over Virginia so that folks get a chance to meet me and know me and actually form an opinion based on, on uh, real interaction as opposed to what other people want to say about me. Has anything surprised you? You go out and interact with all these people. What, do you, what are people thinking and feeling? What's, what's the message that you're coming away with? Two sides. One, frustration and some anger mm -hmm. on where we are uh, as a commonwealth but also hope and opportunity that we can, in fact, win in November and really get Virginia moving in a different direction. And that has probably been the most encouraging moment, Bill, this whole campaign, is this switch that happened during the nominating process, but not just with Republicans, where all of a sudden everybody said, well, wait a minute, 
Glenn, you can win. And Glenn, we like the, the vision that you were casting on where Virginia can go, and we want someone who can deliver results. This has been a real shift. And today, I find support from not just Republicans, but from independents and Democrats mm -hmm. who just do not want what Terry McAuliffe and the left liberal wing of the Democrat Party are absolutely peddling. Well, well um, qualified immunity, I think, is something that uh, McAuliffe uh, has, has come up has, has come out in support for. Do you want to describe what qualified immunity means? Yeah, and he's come out to support getting rid of it. Yeah, okay. Um, and this is really important. So, yeah, I misspoke. Um, yeah. Safe communities is at the at, at, at a, in a top uh, level issue for all of Virginians. And well, just to define it, qualified immunity is basically saying if you're a police officer, you've got immunity that covers certain circumstances. If you get rid of rid of it, they can be sued, they can be put in jail, they, can, they have no protection against anybody who wants to say they didn't do the right thing. Yes, but, it, but what it is not is absolute uh, protection against bad, bad deeds. Right. And I think this is where the idea of qualified immunity gets, gets um, miscast. So with law enforcement being such an important topic for so many Virginians and having a law enforcement capability that we want to be the best in the country, and with the, with the left liberal Democrats across the country leading this idea of defunding, and then all of a sudden Terry McAuliffe saying he wants to get rid of qualified immunity, which protects law enforcement heroes from frivolous civil lawsuits. That's what it does. It protects them from frivolous civil lawsuits. It doesn't protect them from, from uh, dereliction of duty, but it protects them from frivolous civil lawsuits. This is just another way to defund police because now every single law enforcement hero is now at risk of losing their house or their life savings um, simply because they take an oath to protect all of us. And so in order to build the best law enforcement capability in the country, we have to invest in police. We have to protect qualified immunity. Yes, we have to make sure we have more transparency mm -hmm. and more training and better equipment. And oh, by the way, when there is a bad actor, we have to remove that bad actor. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of people in our law enforcement community today are trying so hard to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And what the left liberal party, Democrat party has done is absolutely knock their legs out to the point where we have understaffing we can't fill up the police academies. Our seniority has gone down substantially because people are retiring way early. And we do not have the capabilities that we should have to have the best law enforcement in the country. How I'm much, fix that how, much, how much power does the governor of Virginia have to do something about that? Is law enforcement a county matter or is it a state matter or is it some combination? What, do you, what, what can you do as governor? Yeah, it's a mix. Okay. Um, now, first of all, the governor can indeed protect qualified immunity. Because if, if a bill comes across my desk that's going to get rid of qualified immunity, I'm going to veto it. I'm just yeah. not going to let it happen. But also, the governor <clears throat> and the legislature do have oversight over all the sheriff's offices across Virginia, mm -hmm. which is an extraordinary number of law enforcement heroes and also state police. Um, many counties will have their own, their, their, their own um, police commissioner and police force. Um, but again, they're still protected by qualified immunity. Um, and so it's a combination in Virginia. It's not universally the same in each county. But one of the things we have to do is recognize we have to invest more in. We have to pay people better. We have to pay people better. We have to invest in better equipment. We have to protect qualified immunity. And we have to make sure that the standards of what we're doing 
in our execution of law enforcement are held to very high standards. We have the best in the country. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Glenn Youngkin, who I hope will be our next governor of Virginia. And we're talking about bringing back, we haven't used this term yet, but uh, law and order as an issue in the campaign, which unfortunately, which fortunately we had, haven't had to deal with in years, but because of the events of the last couple of years is now front and center for everyone. It is. Our security, is. our family's security. It is. It is. And if you, is there, which department in, in Virginia oversees law enforcement? And do you have anybody in mind that would be a, a good candidate to run that? Well, I haven't yet. Our policy teams are, are, okay. are laid out. And in fact, we're working with um, law enforcement leaders across Virginia and community leaders across Virginia what, what, what to make be, sure that we, in fact, have a, what would a be really the strong what policy. What would be the ideal person to fill that? Someone who actually has worked in law enforcement, yeah. <laughs> I think, is critical. And yeah. that is critical. Um, not people who haven't worked in law enforcement. That, to me, is a, is a primary characteristic. <clears throat> but, Bill, something you said earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, this is about common sense. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, we talk about things that have been lost in, uh, in leadership and politics today, in public service today. I view common sense has been checked at the door. Yeah. And when you go through the big issues that Virginians are most concerned about, and we've talked about education, Common sense education is letting the schools actually teach our children. <laughs> let's, let's, let's invite our kids back into the classroom and let's teach our children. Let's teach our children the things they need to know in order to, to really thrive and fulfill their dreams. And let's not teach them divisive, well, divisive well, curriculum. Well, I'm, I'm in total agreement, but how, do, how does the governor do that? How do we make changes? Because you take something like the Loudoun County School Board. Yes. How do you, what, you're, okay, you're governor, it's six months from now or seven months from now. Um, it's time to take action. What do you do? Well, the first thing we do is we have a whole new state superintendent, and okay. we have a whole new... And that state superintendent will look like, what attributes do you want to have there? That state superintendent will, will believe in real curriculum, okay. teaching our children how to think as opposed to what to think. Okay. That state superintendent will, will be an advocate for charter schools and school choice, that state superintendent will be very comfortable standing up against teachers' unions and the, the teachers' associations. That state superintendent will be very, very comfortable actually speaking out when he sees bad things or she sees bad things happening in schools. This is what, and, and then we have a school board of education, which in fact um, passes um, basic curriculum guidelines for that's, the whole Commonwealth. That's the key. And the key here the key, is you got you got to get you got to get you got to take back control of the curriculum. You bet we do. You bet we do. And right now, what's happening in Loudoun County is kind of the the out of control um, uh, enactment of edicts that have come from the state board of education. And oh, by the way, what's happening in Loudoun County? And we've seen it. It's, it started out. It started out simply with the basic: we're going to get Dr. Seuss out of our curriculum, <laughs> and it and it. And, and it escalates to our schools aren't open, and it escalates further to critical race theory, and it escalates further when we have an elementary school teacher who stands up and says, based on my religious beliefs and based on what I know is good for elementary school children, I, don't, I will not do what you've asked me to do. And that's, that teacher is immediately put on administrative leave. And so what we're seeing is really just a, a, a runaway train based on a very bad direction that was set early and no one is standing up for the kids and for the parents and for the teachers. And as governor, I'm going to appoint people into these jobs. But as governor, I'm going to stand up 
and make sure that the parents and the teachers and the students know that I have their back. Yeah. Well, see, it sounds like you understand. So I've had 10 or 12 <clears throat> education businesses I've either started or bought or run or whatever. And it's you're, you're talking about kind of this unholy alliance between the people who developed the curriculum, the textbook publishers, the, the teachers' colleges, the... The, obviously, the unions and, you know, in some cases, the Parent Teachers Association, yes. they're all aligned in this politically correct, woke direction. And you got to get all, at all those elements if you're going to bring about change. You do. You do. And on top of that, <clears throat> we have to recognize that teachers do want to teach. Well, that's and the thing. The teachers, teachers want to teach. So this is not to vilify the teachers. Yeah. This is to vilify. This, unfortunately, the system is broken. Well, and we, ha we have to fix the system and put, put families back in control of their kids' education. And this is, why, this is why school choice, this is why charter schools, education savings accounts are so important that we then can introduce competition into what is right now an environment that has no competition and families have no choice. And I'm all about individual liberty here. And this is why I think as governor, we can make so much progress on education in Virginia. Well, you're saying so. I had a quick personal anecdote. I had, I had a language business where we taught kids Spanish and French, K, to, uh, K through sixth grade. And we had to find teachers for this program. It was a pull-out program where kids would go to it after school. And it was so easy to find teachers who'd been in schools that loved teaching but left the system because they couldn't stand being in the system. Yeah. So this is not about teachers. This no. is about the system. It is. It is. And it's also um, a great uh, example of the difference in basic philosophy between a common sense focused business person, me, and a 40-year politician, Terry McAuliffe. Now, yeah. I mean, he's, he's been around this for 40 years. He basically says what he needs to say whenever he needs to say it. And if we go back and pick almost any issue, Terry has been on either side of it, depending on when he needs to say what he needs to say. And, and qualified immunity is one of these really important ones in law enforcement. I just want to highlight the fact that when, when, when Terry McAuliffe was governor of Virginia, the murder rate in Virginia went up 31%. He did not stand up for law enforcement. He was not focused on community safety. And as a result, we had terrible outcomes. And so let's just be careful because when he starts to run as governor again, like he is, he'll say whatever he needs to say, but his track record is his track record. When we look at Virginia's economy and the job creation engine that has just faltered, the reason why we're in the state we're in today is because Terry McAuliffe and Ralph Northam didn't know how to build an economy that was durable. They mm -hmm. wanted one that was government controlled, centrally controlled, picking the you know picking winners and picking losers. They wanted one that was driven by, in fact, having uh, red tape that they could choose to either suspend or not. They wanted a, they wanted an economy that they got to control, as opposed to pulling government out of it and unleashing innovation across Virginia, and allowing the business community so, to grow and thrive. So, what are two or three or four things that you do to get the economy moving in a free market direction? Yeah, the first thing we have to do is we absolutely have to get open. And I know everybody says, well, we'll be open by January, Glenn, when you're, when you're governor. The reality is what, what, what Ralph Northam and in, Terry... In every aspect of the lockdown. In every aspect of the lockdown, okay. including the regulatory burden that has been pounded on top of companies. Remember, 
Ralph Northam extended COVID compliance indefinitely, indefinitely. So we have to we have to peel back that's, layers. That's, that's that's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> we got to peel back layers. Yeah. On top of that, small businesses have suffered mightily. Yeah. I mean, twenty five percent of Virginia's businesses in the last year either went under permanently, or were at least closed for an extended period of time. And so, in order to revitalize our small business community, we're going to have to come up with a way to allow them to run for a while. I actually think we should have a, a tax holiday for a period of time for small businesses to allow them to get back on their feet. Um, and I think those small, I think small businesses are the engine of our economic revival. We got to get them moving again. And then I think finally, we need to recognize that um, training a workforce and getting Virginians ready to go back to work mm -hmm. has absolutely been dropped by Terry McAuliffe and Ralph Northam. And so over the course of the last year, we had, we had one and a half million Virginians that filed for first-time unemployment benefits, yeah. so much of it unnecessary because he kept the economy closed for so long. But the reality is we still have over 200,000 people that have not returned to the workforce in Virginia. And the primary reason is they're not prepared to take the jobs that are available. There's tens of thousands of jobs that are available. Well, and they're also getting $300 a month to stay home. And we've just, for, we've just, that a week? We've just yeah. finally yeah. Um, re reinstated the requirement to go look for a job. What kind of power does the governor have versus the CDC mandates? Because one of the things that's happening is that they've mandated, uh, uh, you, if you're a landlord, you can't evict anybody during this period. Well, it overlooks the fact that most of the, most of the rental properties are owned by small business people that might have one, two, three, or four units, yeah. and they're and they're hurting, you know, yeah. little guys trying to protect little guys, and so the CDC is just totally clueless as to as to how the economy really works. Yeah, and on top of that, and just to just to pick on this issue for a minute, we have CDC guidelines that are national guidelines, and we have many states run by Republican governors, by the way, that have been open and moving faster and their economies have recovered faster. And we have Virginia that has been unnecessarily closed for an extended period of time. And think about the domino effect of that. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks ago, and I don't have the latest number, but a few, but as of three weeks ago, only 45% of the jobs that have been lost in Virginia had come back mm -hmm. versus 80% of the jobs that had been lost that had come back in Texas versus the jobs that have been lost. So when you just take that fact, and you recognize the domino effect of that. Well, well, people don't have the jobs yet to go take, and therefore we have landlords that are being told that, that people in their, in their buildings can't pay their rent. Well, the reason why they can't is because Governor Northam kept our economy closed. And everything has been shoved out for an extended period of time, which just creates more challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I look back at the job that he has done, and I, we mentioned this earlier, he absolutely followed and was timid at every step of the way, as opposed to recognizing, and they always talk about following the science. Well, the science told us that the kids should have been in school. Science told us that, that, the, that the economy could be open and people could be safely re-engaging in economic activity. And we watched other states do it, and that's why Virginia is so far behind right now relative to other states. And we've got uh, our, 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 our uh, pandemic czar uh, declaring that, uh, you know, masks you buy in stores really don't work. Yes. Yeah, and so yes. what have we been doing <laughs> except virtually virtue signaling this whole time? How do you bring, there's an, op we talked about McAuliffe, but 
Joe Biden, for a lot of people who think like you and I do, and Kamala Harris, are not exactly. They're, 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 it seems to be target rich there. They, there are a lot of problems with what yes. they're doing and what the federal government's doing now. How do you bring them into the race uh, if, if, if you want to do that? Yeah, well, I, I think first and foremost, in, for Virginians, and again, this is not Republicans and independents and Democrats. This is Virginians really standing up against the liberal left. And what Virginians have seen coming out of Richmond, and now they see coming out of Washington, is this extreme left position on every issue. We have a COVID relief bill that has very little COVID in it. I was absolutely supportive of there being incremental relief mm-hmm. if it went to the people that needed it yeah. and could actually benefit and got our economy moving again. When you really look at the COVID relief bill, it only had about 8% in it that was actually targeted towards COVID health. Mm. And it did have some support for people who might need it from stimulus checks. But the reality is 75, 80% of that bill didn't go to anything to do with COVID. And Virginians see that. Um, When we start talking about infrastructure bills, and we recognize that the infrastructure bill that was originally uh, proposed um, didn't have that much infrastructure in it. And it, again, reflects the fact that the left liberals believe that it's their money, not our money. And you can spend it any way you want. And Virginians don't believe that. And what I've heard over and over and over again is the big issues of how do we build a new economy and get out of this? How do we, in fact, get our schools moving? How do we ensure public safety? The, the, the Terry McAuliffe left liberals and, oh, by the way, the Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden and, and Chuck Schumer and and AOC, they're all on the wrong side of these issues for Virginians. And that's why we have so much momentum in this campaign. You're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Glenn Youngkin, and we're talking about how a Republican can win in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Now, we talk about all this and all this money. Well, a lot of it's going into Northern Virginia. I mean, you talk about job creation. That's where all the jobs have been created, and people there are pretty happy with this. How do you... How, does, how do you win in Northern Virginia, or how do you at least make enough dent in Northern Virginia to uh, take the rest of the state, to yes. take the state? So we, the, the reality mm-hmm. is that we don't have to win Northern Virginia to win Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other reality is Northern Virginians are standing up and actually expressing strong views on all of these issues as well. And, you know, we talk about Loudoun County schools, and... This is not a Republican family issue. This is a Loudoun County family issue. And we're watching families come together and stand up and express strong views about the wrong direction of schools in Loudoun County and in Fairfax County. We watched the families all around uh, Thomas Jefferson and the fact that that the admissions policy was being forcibly changed and it was moving from a meritocracy to a managed outcome. And, and, And this is not, again, Republicans against Democrats. This is actually Virginians against the left liberal view that we're going to manage outcomes and make sure everybody is given the same outcome, no matter how hard they work. This is the challenge with the left liberal agenda today, and it's not restricted to outside Northern Virginia. So what we're seeing across the Commonwealth is all of a sudden the minority vote, which counts a lot in Northern Virginia, I mean a ton in Northern Virginia, the non-white vote in Northern Virginia is really important. Um, this is the Hispanic vote and the Asian vote and the Indian vote and the Muslim vote. And the, these folks absolutely care deeply about these topics. And yet the Republican Party in Virginia hasn't engaged 
to no, any real extent. I, I think any we, real extent. I, I think I think we win. You win on the cultural issues because that cuts across the political divide. Yeah. When you're talking about kids, you're talking about what they learn, what their opportunities are. That's that's deep, yeah. and I think you can. I do. I think you can win with that. Bill, now, it is deep. Um, the other big uh, voting group is women. Yeah. And we've watched women across the Commonwealth, but particularly in Northern Virginia, in Virginia Beach, and in suburban Richmond, move away from the Republican Party over the last couple of years. Um, and we're bringing them back. You know, my wife is leading this amazing initiative called Women for Glenn. And we have thousands and thousands and thousands of women now fully engaged over these most important issues. And guess what? The most important issues are, do we have an economy that's durable and jobs that are dependable? Do mm -hmm. we have schools that we believe in and our community safe? Mm -hmm. And these are issues that I am so excited to actually draw the stark comparison between where I will lead Virginia and where Terry McAuliffe wants to drag Virginia. So safety, education, opportunity. You got it. Hey, I, I think I've got your slogan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Winsome Sears. Yes. Have you two uh, connected and are you starting to uh, work together? I think you've got an event coming up. We do. You? We do. So we have a great ticket. So Winsome Sears is the lieutenant governor candidate. You know, Winsome's been here. She was on the show with Star Parker. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. She's, she's yeah, Winsome's great. great. And then Jason Miaras is our attorney general candidate. And yeah. we have a fabulous ticket. And, you know, let's be, let's be real. We've got an outside business person. We, we've got a minority woman um, who, by the way, is an immigrant. And we have, as a lieutenant governor, and we absolutely have the child of a Cuban immigrant running for attorney general. Um, we have, this represents America. This represents Virginia. And this is why I think, this again, why Virginians are so excited about what's happening in the Republican Party in Virginia this a minority, year. A minority woman immigrant with an AR-15. Yes. Yes. Well, she's <laughs> ex, a Marine. Ex-Marine, yeah. Yeah, she's a Marine. Yeah. Remember, once a Marine, always a Marine. So she's a Marine. And... Uh, and you know, Winsome, I think also. I, I think together, that's a pretty formidable. It's a formidable lineup. ticket. It really yeah. is. Now, is she going to be going into places that you won't go or can't go, or less likely to be well received? I mean, I'm, well, I'm we're, speaking we're, as a fellow, you know, white male uh, conservative. Well, we're we're really well coordinated first. Yeah. And we actually have a number of weekly calls to make sure we have everybody um, yeah. going in the right places and making sure we're we're comprehensively present in Virginia. Um, but we also recognize that each of us needs to be all places at times. And so there's moments where we'll all be together and times. We'll I think go you need to go. I mean, oh. my, as I think about it, I, I think we need Bet. to be colorblind with this. We uh, are. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And in fact, one of the first coalition groups that we started yeah. was Black Virginians for Glenn. Yeah. And we started back. We started back in March. Yeah. Not for the convention, but recognizing that what Republicans have done in Virginia over the last 10 years is show up and ask for minority votes in October. And we actually want to engage and understand what we need to do in order to best represent and serve minority mm -hmm. populations starting in March. Because when I'm governor in Virginia, I'm going to be governor for everybody. And so this is one of the great things about all three of us as a ticket showing up all over Virginia. Mm -hmm. And whether we're in underserved communities, whether, by the way, whether they're, whether they're um, uh, rural communities that are seeing real economic challenges in Southwest Virginia or in Southside Virginia, or whether they're urban communities that need support and help and want to know that their governor and lieutenant governor, attorney general are going to be serving them too. I mean, this is what's most important for us is to make sure well, that all Virginians know we're going to go work for them. Winston tells a powerful story about how the Democrats have not served the minority communities and in fact have hurt them. Yeah, you bet. And then, you know, starting with the, with the abortion issue, you know, how many black babies have been aborted in yes. America in the last 50 years? 
Uh, what's the, uh, there's a line in The Godfather after The Godfather's dead and Michael Corleone's sitting there with uh, Tom Hayden at the funeral and they know that the, uh, the bad guys are gonna, gonna come after him and Tom turns to Michael and he says, uh, he says, how are they gonna come after you? I mean, what do you, what do you think, what, what are your vulnerabilities? I mean, you've got uh, the Carlisle group and that's, you know, I suppose we could be considered a, a, a capital. What, what, is there anything you're worried about that uh, we, need to be, we need to be talking about? The, the short answer is no. I, what, I, what I know they're gonna try to do is <clears throat> suggest that being a successful business person is, is, is somehow or another bad. That's why I wanted and, to start with private equity. And, and, and I actually take a completely different view of this. Now, as I said, you know, I had, I had uh, when I was growing up, some challenges in our family, and my dad lost his job a couple times, and, and, uh, and I, was, you know, I was a financial aid student in high school at the private school I had a chance to go to because of basketball. And you know, to me, I was, I've had a chance to live an American yeah. dream. Yeah. And I want all Virginia families to actually step back and say whatever our biggest, boldest dream is, I want to feel like I can achieve it. And I think that that's something that I look forward to speaking into. Mm -hmm. Winsome looks forward to speaking into. Jason looks forward to speaking into. Because this, I think, is really the, the disservice that the left liberal agenda pays to so many people, which is stay where you are, we'll take care of you, and make you dependent on government as opposed to look what you can do and let's open up the fast lanes and run as fast as you can and dream your dreams. And we'll do this without government interference, although there will be help along the way. I mean, one of the things my wife and I learned last summer, we started an organization called Virginia Ready to help people who had lost their jobs get retrained for new jobs. And what we found is people signed up left, right, and center. They just never knew that if they went to a community college for a six to 12 week credentialing program, they could get a great job. And so, so much of this is illuminating opportunity and helping people find the path and then letting them run because people, Virginians are, Virginians are gritty, Virginians are ambitious, Virginians like to lead, not follow. And this is why I'm so um, energized by the support that I'm getting as governor. Glenn Youngkin. Thanks. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. This is uh, this is inspiring. I'm, Thank you. Uh, I'm impressed, and uh, let's let's go forth and win. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to coming back. And yeah, we'll get a you back, discussion. and uh, we'll follow it. Go dig a little deeper in some of these things that I wish we'd gotten to, but we will next time. We will next time. I've uh, been watching the Bill Walton show. I've been here with Glenn Youngkin, and uh, terrific conversation. And uh, we'll be talking with you all soon. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.